Thank you for joining IAB There. And now your host, Brad Behrens. Over to you, Brad. Hi, everybody. I'm Brad Behrens. I'm the Editor-in-Chief here at the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome to IAB There, our daily live stream where we connect the digital advertising ecosystem. Today uh, is Tuesday, August 11th, and we're talking in a few moments with John Steinberg. He is the president of Altice News and Advertising. Uh, he's had an extraordinarily interesting career, came out of BuzzFeed right before he founded Cheddar, and I'm going to ask him what Cheddar is and how it fits into Altice. Uh, he was the CEO of the DailyMail.com here in North America, uh, which is an extraordinarily successful website. So the topic today is that uh, the importance of news, brand safety for brands and uh, advertisers within the news. As you are uh, loyal followers here at IAB there are aware, we have a longstanding News Saves Lives campaign. We're very invested in not only the significance of the news uh, for uh, the citizenry of the world and the United States, but also how advertisers can safely take advantage of the extraordinary attention that's flowing into the news given our time uh, of complexity and crisis. Uh, John Steinberg, as I said, uh, was, came out of BuzzFeed, uh, famously uh, one of the advertising ages media mavens, in 40, as well as 40 Under 40. Um, let's bring him into the, into the stream. Uh, John Steinberg, welcome to IAB there. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Love the IAB. So uh, just let, let's start Cheddar. Like, I mean, tell us what Cheddar is. I know what Cheddar is because I was lucky enough to be uh, on it a few weeks ago. And uh, Nora Ali, one of your uh, one of your uh, extraordinary journalists, uh, helped us to host the New Fronts. But for the people who don't know, uh, let's, what is Cheddar? How is Cheddar different than its competitors? Yeah, Cheddar is what I call a post cable network. And I call it that because it's what comes after cable networks. And effectively, it's a live streaming news network. A lot of people call it CNBC for millennials um, that streams on most of the major cable systems. We're channel one on Optimum, for those of you that are in the Optimum footprint. And we'll talk a bit about Optimum and Altice in a moment. And is also available on all the major streaming platforms like the Roku channel, Pluto, Hulu Live, YouTube TV. It's basically available everywhere. And it's a live cable news network focused on technology, media, innovation. We broadcast to the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Hope to be back there soon. In fact, we will be back there soon. Um, and that, that's Cheddar in a nutshell. And you founded Cheddar after leaving Mail Online. And that's right. tell us about, tell us about the, the going from you know, uh, Mail Online, part of the Daily Mail group in the UK, to you know, plucky news startup and then to be acquired by such a much larger entity with Altice. Yes. Like, talk about that. It sounds like a fascinating few years. Yeah. And, you know, and also I've, I've bounced back and forth between uh, large companies and small companies. You know, BuzzFeed was 2010 to 2014. I was at BuzzFeed. When I got there, there were 15 employees. I think it was 500 employees when I left. Um, then did the stint at Daily Mail, but always had this kind of obsession with live news and live video and felt that a lot of people weren't innovating there. I spent a lot of time on CNBC as a contributor and became obsessed with the efficiency and the speed and the volume with which you can produce content when you were live, as opposed to when you were constantly putting video into an editing bay and waiting for it to come back. So 
Um, I've, I've ventured sort of in and out of big companies and startups and, and, you know, you know, a lot of people say once they do a startup, they would only do startups. They can never work at a big company, but I've found comfort and sort of learning in both environments. Cool. And, and so then there's, so you answered the, what is cheddar question, but yeah. let's also talk about what, it, what is Alpice? Cheddar is one part of it, but it's a, it's a news conglomeration and it's got a lot of different parts. Yeah, you know, we're to, to put it simply, we're really a, largely a cable company, a cable and broadband connectivity company. We're the fourth largest cable company in the U.S. We operate under two major, well, now three major brands: Optimum, which is one of the largest providers in the Northeast; Suddenlink, which is in the Midwest, um, and then we we recently acquired a third small system as well. Um, so we're basically an operator of cable systems. And then we also have news operations. That's really the other side of it. Um, and we have News 12, which everybody in the tri-state area knows. There's seven hyper-local news networks. We have Cheddar Now, which is a national business network. And then we have an international news network broadcast out of Jaffa Port in Israel called I-24, which is widely available on cable systems as well, too. So Altice really does consumer connectivity, business connectivity. A lot of small businesses get their connectivity through uh, Altice networks. And then finally, we have these advertising and news operations. So talk with me about how your perspective on the news has changed since selling Altice, since, since Altice acquired Cheddar. Like what, you, know, you were in the news with, with Mail, with BuzzFeed, but like what's the big, what are the big ahas from joining a company like Altice? Well, I think that I've certainly learned a lot about the importance of hyperlocal news. I mean, taking over News 12 has been the biggest um, change to my portfolio and change to my daily life since the acquisition and realizing what an important service local live video news is and how much consumers turn to it when there's a major storm or COVID. They want to know what's happening in their community. So I've learned a tremendous amount about that. And really, and really love local news now as a result of kind of my time doing that. I would say what's really shaped it more has been COVID. And, you know, during COVID, we've really seen two things, which is people want streaming services, SVOD services, whether that's Disney Plus or Netflix or Hulu, and they want live news. And I used to say they want sports too, but, you know, they're really have not been sports for a while. So it's been a dramatic change in the whole media landscape and content landscape that's occurred over these past four, five, six months. And, and that's done more to inform my view of media than I think even the Altice um, acquisition. So what do you think the biggest changes are? Like what, you know, if we're using mid-March as a benchmark for, you know, when yeah. things really started, we started to really take this seriously. And you know, we've seen just extraordinary attention flowing into news uh, across all platforms. What were you seeing and, and can you dig in on different demos and different yeah. kinds of, of updates? We, we saw we saw huge spikes in viewership across all of our networks, um, heightening in I guess it was the month of April, really March April, the height of the pandemic, where our viewership was really off the charts. And we've sustained. We're no longer at that ultra high level, but we sustained a lot of that viewership increase um, even through now. And it seems that these viewing habits are people of all ages. Um, you know, Cheddar obviously focuses more on this kind of 18 to 49 year old demo. Traditional cable networks tend to have audiences. Cable news networks have audiences more in their mid 50s. Um, this enormous craving for news. And when they're not watching news, it seems like they're watching Netflix, you know, and, and you know, what, what 
really happened was Netflix, um, and to a lesser extent, some of the other streaming players had enough content in the can, so to speak, that they could release fresh content during the pandemic. Whereas a lot of these, uh, you know, traditional broadcasters who put shows on the air and things like that, you know, didn't have enough stuff that was produced. And so consumers basically wanted to know what was going on in the world. So they turned to live news where we were able throughout the pandemic to continue to produce a live, you know, 24 by seven news network and several 24 by seven news networks, as, as I mentioned, and then looking to streaming services to get their content because they could no longer get it through traditional cable networks. So that, that to me has been the big consumption change that I've witnessed over these past few months. And so let's let's flip over. I want to get back to consumers and some of your insights yeah. around how audiences are behaving. But one of the questions that, because we're the Interactive Advertising Bureau, comes up again and again, is trying to get uh, brands and agencies to be more thoughtful about uh, their their work supporting the news, advertising within the news. And the, we talk about you know don't block the news. Uh, it's critically important yeah. people have a lifeline. But it's not just uh, asking advertisers to do the right thing. It's also asking them to do the strategic thing because so much attention is going into news that it, it would be foolish to not be there if you're trying to uh, do what advertisers do, which is capture some of the attention uh, that other that media properties build uh, in the form of their audiences. So, so what are you seeing in terms, let's start with what are you seeing with advertisers? Are people blocking are they, are they yes. coming back from it? Like, what I mean, are they doing been, and how, what yeah, should so, they do? I mean, this, this has been going on since I was at BuzzFeed through my time at Daily Mail, uh, through my time now running news networks. And you have brands which say we don't run against news, which is crazy to me. And, and you know, it, it still is this wrongheaded view that if you run adjacent to tragic or controversial events, let's stick with tragic for a second. If, if, you know, the classic pulling down your ads when there's a plane crash, right, or not wanting to run against any news that involves a plane crash, right? A plane crash is an enormous human tragedy that often has important investigation elements that need to go into it that an informed public needs to know about and that an advertiser should be willing and interested in supporting the conveyance of that important, if tragic, information um, to a public, right? No one thinks that when a brand runs adjacent to a tragedy or a controversial news event, that they're necessarily taking an opinion or making an opinion or in some way, you know, being pleased that there's a tragedy. No one thinks that. Now, if you're talking about an opinion show, that's one thing, but we don't operate opinion shows. We don't operate opinion networks. We're simply a conveyance of the news. If news companies were to strictly follow uh, what advertisers want, you would basically end up with lifestyle and sports sections of newspapers, and there would be no a, a section, right? And in fact, you know, when you look at the New York Times and you look at the history of it, a lot of the reason why these additional sections were created, the style section, for example, you know, there's no purpose for the style section other than selling advertising, right? There's, there's not really a lot of important conveyance of news that goes into the style section. And so we frequently have conversations with advertisers where they say they want to run on cheddar in areas where um, it's more lifestyle or not hard news. It's very frustrating. In contrast, on News 12, we never see that. In, on News 12, the advertisers want to target a local audience. 
They buy largely traditional spots, whereas with Cheddar, we tend to do more branded integration and custom content. And so for standard 30-second ads, there tends to be, in, in linear cable, there tends to be less hesitancy and less controversy and less you know, agency saying no news that goes on in digital media properties um, and in streaming properties. So local advertisers are, I think they, it sounds like what you're saying is local advertisers have more faith that their customers and future customers are not going to blame them for uh, you know the proximity of their ad with a news story that could be horrible, in, in part right. because they're all inhabiting the same community. We don't have that kind of relationship uh, with. Of course, I, I, I think most advertisers are proud to be on News Twelve. They feel they're supporting the community. They feel they're supporting the conveyance of news, and they're speaking to the audience they want. The other point that I'll make as well too is local advertisers don't work with agencies. And as much mm. as the agencies tend to blame the clients and say the clients are the ones that want no news agent, no, no news adjacency, I believe that it's largely driven by the agencies because the agencies tend to have standard terms and boilerplates around no news and what have you. And, and I've seldom spoken to a client that has the no news um, edict. It typically comes from the agencies. So that's part of the reason why it's much easier for news and local. So when it comes to cheddar, you talked a moment ago about branded integration. So let's yeah. talk with me, please, about like what are you doing to create uh, while while we are both IB and Altice are encouraging brands not to block the news in a, a ham-fisted way to to think about you know, more subtle and sophisticated technologies uh, that are there to help with semantic placement. There's a lot going on on the technology side, but Cheddar's doing some things with branded integration in particular kinds of content. Talk with us about what those are, please. Yeah, so we do a, a custom personal finance show for Ally that runs once a week. We do custom segments for E-Trade on trading. We do a segment called the Grab and Go with Duncan, which is the five topics that you need to know to get through your morning. And we have different kind of custom integrations throughout the show. And that's really the, that, that was the bulk of the cheddar business at the time that we joined um, Altice. And for, with those advertisers, you know, Duncan is thoroughly integrated throughout our shows. We have the Duncan cups just about everywhere. They've been a tremendous, if not our best partner over, you know, X number of years. And they, they're completely supportive of the news and they don't have any issues around, um, you know, needing to take things down or move things around or, or what have you. Most of our advertisers, because we tend to be largely client direct in most cases, um, we don't have these issues with. It really only tends to be the smaller advertisers or the first time RFPs where we talk about the content and they say, gee, we really want to work with Cheddar. We really would love to do a show or a custom segment around um, you know, saving for retirement, but we don't want to ever be near anything which is um, political in nature or tragedy in nature. And in those cases, we look to solve for it. We look to put them in a block where we know that they're not, there isn't going to be any kind of top news of the morning or top news of the evening. And we adjust to it. Now, you know, that isn't the greatest feeling in the world to have to do that. But ultimately, if the advertisers insist on choosing their section of the newspaper, so to speak, um, you know, I, I have to comply with it or take, now look, they, I don't let them, I don't let them dictate. I don't let them say you can't run this stuff, but if we know that we're doing a show, we, we do a show called life from home, uh, which we recently mm -hmm. rolled out, which is all about how people are adjusting in their business and their social and their lives to COVID. Right. And that's typically tends to be 
more lifestyle, lighter fare. It's a very safe environment to put a brand in that doesn't want to be near news or Trump said something about the payroll tax cut. I mean, you can't really run in our morning show, Opening Bell, and be away from Trump because Trump's going to do something economic every day and we're going to mention it and it could come right before your segment and we're not going to not run a business network because somebody has a block on you know appearing next to Trump. We'll just have to find somewhere else to put them. So you're you're create you're doing what newspapers do, which is you're creating highly monetizable content in order to subsidize the the mission of of bringing the news to the people and that just sounds very frustrating. Uh, to me. Well, I mean, you know, but the bulk of what we do is business news. So we don't really have, um, you know, it's very rare for us to cover, you know, war zone coverage or things of those you know, that nature, you know, so we don't have as many areas that we need to move them away from. And most of them want to run next to business content. And so it isn't a straight, there's no subsidization really going on. We don't, we don't have areas of the day, which are completely unmonetizable. Uh, and we also do have standard ads that run as well. Cheddar has standard ads that run against it on Optimum. We have standard ads that run against it on Roku. Um, it, you know, we are a work safe network. Uh, we're in these pristine environments like Roku and Pluto and what have you and advertisers there um, you know, that stuff sort of autofill. So I, I can't really speak to if advertisers are telling Roku they don't want to run against news, but there's certainly when I watch us on the Roku channel, Fortune 500 brands that run in the standard 30 second breaks. So, you know, look, a lot of things frustrate me, but I mean, I've, I've been doing this now for 10 years. And so it isn't, it isn't as frustrating as when, you know, it's a BuzzFeed and we'd have advertisers say, or Daily Mail say, take down my homepage ads because today's story is something that everyone in the world is talking about, everybody needs to know about, but it's a tragedy and therefore I don't want my ads to run. And then so that day we lose a whole day of homepage inventory. That's frustrating. I, 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 perhaps, uh, please forgive me for using the word frustrating. I think challenging probably. Uh, would, no, you can use that word. I, don't want, I mean, look, I'm like the most frustrated person on earth. Like everything frustrates me. So no, no offense taken. Um, so I, I I want to talk, you mentioned politics and you mentioned that politics isn't your, your raison d'etre, except insofar as it impacts the business, the business coverage. But we are going into the last 85 days before the election. It's going to be a tremendous amount of attention going there. Um, are you, you know, what, let, let's reiterate, you know, we have this interesting inflection point where we can be giving guidance to brands and agencies. Well, how should they be thinking differently about advertising around the news during this, like I said, this last 85 days uh, before yeah. what could be the most consequential election of my lifetime. Yeah, well, I think they should lean in to sponsoring live streaming news platforms and live linear platforms. And there's nothing more important than supporting the informing of a voting public and the informing of a democracy. And look, I get it. If, if, if they don't want to run on a highly partisan news network, um, I get that. that. That's opinion. If they don't want to run against opinion, I, I totally understand that. But by and large, there are many news choices out there um, that are nonpartisan, you know? And I mean, you know, I would point to Newsy, which, you know, we view as a competitor and I view as a friend, you know? Newsy is incredibly nonpartisan. You know, no, I would run against Newsy's election coverage. I would run against our election coverage. We will be. We were going to send people to the conventions because of COVID. We're not sending people to the conventions. We do cover a fair amount of politics, even though it isn't our raison d'etre. And I would tell brands to lean into it, to lean into 
the the content that's going to be around explaining Biden's positions and explaining Trump's positions and explaining the various controversies. I mean, what what is the alternative to have news networks not covering that and and then have a have you know have us you know have people running style and leisure pieces because that's what advertisers want and ignoring a presidential election um, because that really is the end state for advertisers who who really don't want news. If enough advertisers don't want news. There just won't be news anymore. Now that's you know that's hyperbole to some extent, but you know you could argue that if news was more easily monetizable and there weren't brands putting blocks against news, you would have more news. Um, there's no doubt there's less news in, in our there's no there's less news in our American society than there would be if if brands were not um, blocking it. And do you? What concrete question, conversations that you might be able to relate to have? I mean, how, what works when trying to convince advertisers not to block the news when trying to convince them to, to embrace what you and I are talking about right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm in such a competitive market. And, you know, one of my favorite sayings is you can't fight City Hall. You know, there, there are, are four large agency holding companies. And if they and a brand get it in their head that they don't want to run against news, nothing I'm going to say is going to convince them. And so in that case, we try to find a non-adjacency for them. Now, I have many relationships with CMOs and, and, and many of our clients, we have CMO level relationships, and that's a much more reasoned conversation. And in those cases, I can't think of anywhere where we have a CMO level relationship with the brand where they have put... Um, you know, a non-adjacency rule around news. So I, I guess I guess the, the, the long and the short of it is if somebody's got that in their head and they have it in their policy book and they have it in their, their buying rules, there's very little that we can do in a market because we're such a small player, as is every media company such a small player. And ultimately, some other media company will find them a non-adjacency. So there's nothing to be done. Let, let's go, go a little bit more general uh one of the things that we're dealing seeing as we're dealing with you know these three simultaneous huge events in our lifetime which is you know the pandemic the financial crisis and then the resurgence of civil rights it's the the financial crisis that i want to talk about for a minute you know i can't help but think that this is going to be bad for netflix uh, bad for all of the non-ad subsidized streaming platforms. So you know, fast, you know, it's free ad-supported TV uh, for streaming. And you know, talk with me about how the news is different than other kinds of ad-supported streaming and CTV. And also, uh, uh, well, actually, that was that was really the question. Sort of like, well, how, how yeah, is news no, different, I, and I, what do you think? So I, I I disagree with the premise of the question. I think that this is this is shown to be spectacular for Netflix. This is shown to be spectacular for Pluto, and that basically people being home with broadband has pulled forward. And you know Roku just put out their report on streaming and has has pulled forward this shift to streaming. I don't know if it accelerated it by six months or a year or two years or three years, but basically everybody is benefiting from OTT. Everybody is benefiting from streaming because consumers left at home. And it kind of goes back to the point where where is the fresh content? The fresh content is on Netflix. The fresh content is on HBO Max. I mean, the fresh content is even on Quibi right now. You know, you're not seeing a lot of fresh content um, on, on NBC. You know, you're, you're just not. And you're not seeing sports right now, with the exception of a little bit of it coming back now with basketball and, and baseball. So I'd say it's a 
it's a rising tide for everybody in the streaming space, whether you're subscription um, or free ad supported news or anyone in that category. So let's talk about behaviors. This is getting back to the earlier part of our conversation. Uh, you know, we have this sort of great reset. We have the great acceleration. And, and the question, the bedeviling question is, you know, we know that a lot of behaviors uh, have changed. Some of them we think are going to change permanently. People talk a lot about, you know, never wanting to go back to the office or never wanting to go back to the office every day. Other people are dying to get uh, away from their children or their homes or their dogs or whatever and want to get back to the office. So it's really hard to predict. I watch as, you know, anytime there's some slight uh, lifting of the restrictions that you see people just, you know, jump to the beach, jump to the pool, and you see you know, these alarming crowds of, of people gathered together without masks. And and so it's very hard to predict, like, what you know, what's going to be changed forever and what's going to snap back. I just, based on your experience, what you're seeing uh, particularly given your perspective where you've got yeah. you know, streaming local and international, what do you think behavior-wise is going to be forever changed and what do you think is going to snap back? You know, you know, Brad, I've gone back and forth on it. I think that basically if you asked me two months ago, I would have thought that work from home was a more permanent megatrend or flexible work. I think what we're seeing now is with this going on so much longer, people are really sick of being in their houses and really miss the social element of going to an office and having that kind of collaboration. And, you know, when we survey our employees and we talk to them about what do they want, you know, they, they really cite two things. One thing is that um, they fear going back to the office because of public transportation. They feel unsafe, even if we put the most stringent of practices in place in the office. And, but they want to go back, but they feel like they can't go back right now. Not, and we're not making anybody go back right now, just to be clear. Um, and the second thing that they say is many of them point out they like be they like not having a commute or they like being able to work in more flexible clothes. You know, I mean, th these are things that people actually say, right? And so, I think that the end state will be when we have the vaccine and this is behind us, whenever that may be. I don't know if it's January or next July or whenever people will return to offices and people will return to collaboration because I think a lot of people are really just being driven crazy right now by being home. With that said, many employees will want the flexibility to work from home, you know, X number of days a week or on certain occasions. And I think we've shown through the pandemic, the ability with tools like this, you know, to be able to replicate a lot of what was done in person beforehand. So I guess my answer is something, some will change, but it won't, we're not going to be living in a society where everybody is working from their bedroom. You know, I don't think people want that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very intrigued by that. It's going to be interesting to see uh, whether or not that flexibility on the part of executives like yourself becomes a competitive advantage in acquiring and retaining talent, right? To what extent is it going to be so important to people? By the way, you have a cat behind you that's, uh, that's posing quite, quite charming. Way, my, my company's name is Cheddar, and this cat's name is Bree. She's three years old. That's that's hilarious. Um, yeah, uh -huh. we should uh, get you a dog named Swiss, and I think will the the cycle will be complete. <laughs> so. Um, I will be very interested to to follow up with you again in the future and see how uh, how these predictions come up. Let me ask, end with one other I mean, question. I, 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 and I was a really 
I was, I've always been really against work from home. Not, not quite the Marissa Mayer level of it, but I've always felt that people are more productive in an office. This has proven to me just how productive people can be when working remote. So I, I, I'm a convert on that. Psychologically, I don't feel it's that healthy for me. And so, you know, and I, I talk to a lot of our colleagues and I, and I don't feel it's that healthy for them and that natural to, you know, just be sitting in a room all day and kind of going back and forth between your, your various childcare issues uh, that we all are facing and, and Zooms, you know? So, I, I mean, look, we're social creatures. I don't, I don't think human beings are meant to be Zooming all day, you know? And just the childcare issue, I think, I, I know you have children, you know, I have a, a, a rising 10th grader and, you know, um, making sure that the kid is in school when school is happening, you know, what kind of support do you need? And it's just flow states where you're completely enthralled by what you're doing, uh, where you're super productive on a, a task at hand. Those are very, very hard when, you know, you're just being interrupted by anything from the dog to what happened to me this yeah. morning, which is a hummingbird flew in my house. So Yeah, but you know, what's uh, very easy about, the only thing that's easy about right now is the only thing that matters is our employees' health and safety and their ability to deal with their child care needs and what have you. And so that, that means that there's really no decision to make right now. There's no way for people to come back. There's no way for people to come back to the office right now. And we just want to support them with their families and, and their health. So John, last question, which is what, you know, you, you're, what are you doing to stay optimistic and connected? Like, what are your habits? How do you stay sane uh, during this time when so many things are changing all of the time? You know, I, I, I've, what I've taken to doing is phone calls, phone calls, not Zooms, uh, mm -hmm. phone calls. And when I can, you know, social distance coffees with business leaders or industry colleagues or people that I respect and admire their intellects and just getting on the phone or getting a coffee and talking to them about what they're seeing in the world, what's inspiring them in business, what they're finding amazing in technology. And I'm trying to kind of create like mini moments of, of classes for myself or mini moments of seminars for myself. Because otherwise, everything becomes so tactical in the Zoom world where every meeting is to go through that week's agenda items and, you know, every every video conference is to deal with getting a campaign live or what have you. So I'm trying to find stimulation um, outside of this. And then I'm also trying to develop like, you know, you know, micro hobbies that I, I recently got into vinyl at the recommendation of a venture capitalist, Chris Freilich, who's a friend of mine. So I started collecting vinyl and there's sites that you can go on and look at the history of the vinyl records and what the pressing was and all of that as well too. Took an online course to get uh, a boating license. I'm not planning on buying a boat, but I'd like to be able to drive a boat. So I did that. I mean, you know, I'm doing crazy things to try to find intellectual diversion, I guess. My wife and I bought kayaks and spent a lot of time on the river here in Oregon where we live. And, uh, you know, did you, do the boat you can be socially course? distant in a kayak. Say that again. You do the boating safety course. Do they have the online course you've got to do for kayaking or no? Kayaking, you just got to wear a vest and hope you don't drown. <laughs> a little, you're, you're not going at such a velocity that you're a danger to anybody but yourself. Um, John Steinberg, I hope to have you back. Thank you so much for joining us on IAB there. Brad, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. So did you know that IAB There is also now a podcast? You can listen to our whole archive wherever you get your podcasts. It's not just IAB There. On Tuesdays, we have our IAB Policy Podcast, 
featuring experts discussing the legal and regulatory developments changing the industry. On Wednesdays, IAB's leaders discuss what's urgent in digital advertising on IAB Real. Go to iab.com slash podcasts to get everything you need, and we'll be launching more shows as time permits. On tomorrow's IAB there, we're excited to welcome Barry Adams. He is the general manager at BidSwitch. He will be talking about emerging challenges around cookie and IDFA deprecation. IDFA is the uh, identification for advertisers, which is part of the Apple uh, iOS. Tune in for that. I Be There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, John Ward, and Carrie Villanueva. I'm Brad Behrens, Editor-in-Chief here at the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Come back tomorrow. Because if it's 2 p.m. Eastern on a weekday, you know it's time to IAB there. Thank you so much. Bye-bye, everybody.